0: Over the weekend, with little notice and little fanfare, Cardinal Gerhard Muller released a statement, or better phrased as a letter, to the to the public about why the College of Bishops is not an exclusive club that can dictate and do whatever it wants, and why the laity share a responsibility in the matters of faith. In these times of confusion, in these times when our bishops are denying the sacraments to almost everyone in the world right now, this is probably something people should be hearing. So... Without further commentary, I have, the, I have Why the College of Bishops is Not an Exclusive Club and Why the laity Share Responsibility in Matters of Faith by Cardinal Gerhard Müller. Power and Synodality Apost- Apostolicity and synodality are two ecclesiological principles of separate origin and meaning. While the connection to the Apostles is fundamental for the Catholic Church and appears as one of the characteristics of the Church in, in the Creed, The principle of synodality is a more recent development. Only the most recent edition of the Lexicon for Theologie und Kirche contains the key term synodal principle. With the Second Vatican Council, the newly constituted Roman synod of bishops and the diocesan synods more frequently held in some countries, the synodality of the church came more into focus, which is in principle intended to accommodate the full participation of all members of the church. Whether the participation of the bishops in the general leadership of the church and the cooperation of all priests and laypeople with the bishop in di- the diocese can be derived from the same principle remains questionable. In the institutions of the Roman Synod of Bishops, the particular synods and regional bishops' conferences are, in different ways, founded upon the egality of episcopal ordination. Membership of the College of Bishops gives rise to a shared responsibility among all bishops for ensuring that the whole Church remains true to the teachings of the Apostles, for unity of faith, unity in the sacraments, and the visible communion of all faithful and bishops with and under the Pope. The supreme authority in matters of doctrine, morals, and the divine constitution of the Church is vested in the ecumenical council. However, as a matter of principle, the Council never exists or acts without its head, the Pope, who is the representative of Christ and successor of Peter. On the other hand, the shared responsibility of all religious and laity is not derived from participation in the apostolic ministry of the Pope and the bishops, but from their participation in the priesthood of Christ, and thus in the prophetic mission and diaconal task of the Church in Martyria, Liturgia, and Diakonia. The reason for this lies in the sacramental entry into the body of Christ through baptism and confirmation. The natural gifts and the supernatural charisms serve to build up the Church in the Spirit of the Father and the Son. They are not a concept competing with the sacramental constitution of the church. That is why the church's constitution is not a changing conglomerate of heterogeneous, supranational inputs of the spirit from the prophets and charismatics, who refer to their experiences of revival on the one hand, and of adaptation to present political dynamics, and sociological structures on the other. In Christ, the church is the sacrament for salvation of the world, not a community of ideas." The Church does not adopt as her organizational structure the corresponding system of rule of the present day. For instance, it nev- neither adopts a feudalistic system of government in times of feudalism, nor does it adopt a system of absolute rule in times of absolute or constitutional principality, nor does it present itself as a direct or constitutional democracy post-French Revolution. This is because the invisible spiritual community and the visible sacramentally constituted Church are not to be considered as two realities, but rather they form one complex reality which coalesces from a divine and human element by no weak analogy to the mystery of the Incarnate Word. Owing to its different ecclesiological approach, the Catholic Church can by no means take over the synodal constitution of the Calvinist and, after the end of the princely sovereignty in 1918, the Lutheran communities. For the Church, being the chosen people of God, is the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church is in no way a merely human religious community, which actualizes the ideals of its divine founder as far as possible within its formal structures. The new forms of synod in the Catholic Church are neither borrowed from the Holy Synod, as in the supreme governing body of an autocephalous Orthodox Church, nor are they the result of a kind of rediscovery of a buried early church tradition. They are in fact an actualization of Episcopal collegiality, or rather the lay apostolate according to the circumstances of the present, which both essentially result from the sacramental nature of the Church. In God's plan for universal salvation, the Church herself, as the sign and instrument of man's intimate communion with God, is the object of faith which emanates from listening to the Word of God. The Church is, as one of her core characteristics, apostolic, because all her members devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles, because all are obliged and thus entitled by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to share in the mission of the Church. Notably, the bishops exceed the apostles, not because they are like these first witnesses of Revelation, and thereby co-founders of the church, but rather they exercise in apostolic succession the authority of the apostles to teach, sanctify, and guide the church of God in the power and spirit of the exalted Christ, at the head of the church. The Catholic understanding of the apostolic ministry is therefore not to be understood sociologically in terms of its functions for the congregation, but Christologically and sacramentally, as a representation of the head of the Church. In the bishops, therefore, for whom priests are assistants, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Supreme High Priest, is present in the midst of those who believe St. Irenaeus presented this principle of apostolicity as a fundamental principle of the Catholic Church and as an apocryphal work against heresies. While the Gnostics of the time, and in another form until today, refer to their self-referential speculations and exclusive knowledge of the divine from alleged secret teachings of the Apostles, St. Irenaeus establishes the epistemological principles of a sound Catholic theology. Christ is the only mediator The Christian faith neither confesses nor places its full hope in the anthropogenic interpretations and ever-changing relations of an absolute inhuman intelligence, which is necessary to contemplate but always escapes our comprehension. In the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge God's truth in his Son, Jesus Christ. He alone is the mediator between the one God and us, the man, Jesus Christ. And by this, we mean the actual man, Jesus, not a mythical creature or an ostensive idea. Through the Holy Spirit, the Church remains in the historically concrete universal truth of God in the Incarnate Word, if the bishops, as successors of the Apostles, faithfully and fully preserve the Word of God in sacred scripture and apostolic tradition. The bishops' shared responsibility was first realized on a larger scale in the form of assembly when a meeting was held in Antioch to reject the heresy of Bishop Paul of Samosata. He contested the divinity of Christ and declared him an ordinary man by nature. Since the faith of the Catholic Church is one and the same, a synodal letter was sent to the bishops of Rome and Alexandria to assure them catholically universally of this truth. The later particular synods or ecumenical councils all follow this concrete principle of the common responsibility of all bishops in unity with the successor of Peter in Rome. They undertake to ensure the unity of the Church and the handed-down faith of the apostles. The bishops acted on this principle long before a systematic theology of the councils was developed. First of all, however, the formal authority of the bishops must not become independent of the substantive authority of revelation in scripture and tradition. And secondly, the College of Bishops is not an exclusive club. The bishops are, in the name of Christ, the shepherds and teachers of the church, only if they themselves have received the church's teaching and are faithful to it. There is a constitutive link between the witness of the apostles and that of all the faithful priests and laity alike. The shepherds must themselves receive the teachings of the church. The lady have a a constructive and in certain circumstances critical co-responsibility in matters of faith. Once historically, this co-responsibility saved the true faith in an extreme way from a majority of Arian bishops cowardly and confusedly gave in to the onslaught of Arianism and the coercive power of the state. The outbreak of the Reformation, which ended in the catastrophic division of the Occidental Church, was partly due to the carelessness and deplorable incompetence of the Roman Curia and the German bishops, who shared a high degree of responsibility for the delayed reform of the Church's head and members. Even Pope Adrian VI himself blamed the Roman Curia and the German bishops at the imperial Diet of Nuremberg. Admittedly, the Church cannot subsequently ratify an infallible decision of the Pope and the Ecumenical Council in matters of faith and morals because it becomes about in the authority of the Holy Spirit, and nobody can launch an appeal against God. But the sense of faith of the people of God, which is formed by listening to the Word of God and being faithful to the teachings of the Church, leads by consultation up to the highest decisions of the teaching authority. This sense of faith is therefore not based on the claim to power of a democratic majority as in a nation. A consensus is based on revealed faith, that is, infallibility. In faith, must proceed in assent on the definitions of the magisterium, both logically and chronologically. No one can invoke the census fide fidelium in his opposition to a revealed and defined doctrine, because the binding declaration of a revelation has been entrusted only to the living magisterium of the Church whose authority is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. Synods and councils have never presumed to reestablish the church or to adapt her doctrine of faith and morals to the spirit of the times and to prevailing worldviews and lifestyles. There is unanimity here with faithful Christians of the Protestant denomination who reacted to the German Christians, a popular movement that saw no conflict between Christianity and the ideals of Hitler's National Socialism. The third thesis of the Theological Declaration of Barmen refers to the German Christians, with their false doctrine of the realities of life as second source of revelation, besides the word of God. We reject the false doctrine as though the church were permitted to abandon the form of its message in order to its own pleasure or to change in prevailing ideological and political convictions. The Bologna School, Apostasy Disguised The interpretation of the Second Vatican Council, spread by the so-called Bologna School, was the agenda for a refoundation of the Catholic Church according to the ideas of the Enlightenment and religious criticism, in other words, a transformation of the Church of God into a civil religion without the divinity of Christ. This is nothing other than a disguised apostasy, because the bishops and the pope are only successors of the apostles and vicars of Christ, who do not have the right to found another church, to transmit a different faith, and to administer sacraments other than those instituted by Christ. See Thomas Aquinas, Summa Theologica, Book 3, Question 64. From where would the architects of their own church receive the authority to indoctrinate? to mainstream and, in the event of disobedience, to excommunicate Christ's faithful, remove them from the ministries given to them by Christ and pillory them in the anti-church media. It can hardly be assumed that a body like the Synodal Path in Germany could claim the Holy Spirit for itself in order to suspend, correct, and reinterpret the authority of Holy Scripture, the apostolic tradition, and the infallible decisions of the magisterium. Nor is it an entity authorized by the Church, nor an academically recognized authority, that can further develop dogmas or divine law. In better times, the German bishop still clearly stated the limits of church authority, namely that even the pope and all the faithful are bound to scripture, tradition, and the existing magisterium, and that by no means can anyone, under the pretext of a new hermeneutic, substantially reinterpret or undermine the creed and teaching of the church. It may well be justified to speak of a synodal principle, in the cooperation of bishops, priests, and laity, and diocesan and super-diocesan di- bodies, However, its original defect, which consists of the political misunderstanding that the church revolved around power that now has to be limited and shared democratically, must not be exaggerated. To speak of a division of powers in the church is nothing other than populism and theological ignorance. In reality, the spiritual authority of the bishops and the mission of the lady is at the service of revealed truth and the eternal salvation of all those for whom Jesus Christ sacrificed his life on the cross. An anti-Roman sentiment has often been found to lurk behind the demand for more synodality. The First Vatican Council had centralized the church authority in Rome, and now with the Second Vatican Council, a decentralization of power, a re-evaluation of the laity, and more independence of the local churches had to take place. In this way, the episcopate had to be democratized so that the bishop is the president of the diocesan assembly, rather than the shepherd and teacher of the local church appointed by Christ. With the pontificate of Pope Francis, a new stage of church history had begun. It was a matter of finally clearing the reform gridlock for which the Pope's two predecessors, and to this day the Roman Curia, were responsible. Instead of intellectually and spiritually facing the great theological and anthropological challenges of the de-Christianization process, many are peddling the new edition of the 1970s agenda. For example, abolition of priestly celibacy, access of women to the priesthood, interfaith communion with persisting separation in faith, recognition of sexual union outside of marriage, and wanting to modernize the Church. For whom should the extinguished torch shine, which is courageously carried forward into the future? The Synodal Principle should actually be bearing fruit for the common work of the new evangelization in Germany. In this way, we Germans would at least be contributing something to the universal Church, which is not waiting for the export of an unprecedented decline in Christian life, as has happened in Central Europe. The apostolic authority of the bishops and the apostolic of the laity, which is constitutive of the church, arise from the same mission of the whole church for the salvation of the world. It is therefore important that they also cooperate and coordinate their activities in evangelization and good works for the temporal good of the state of society. Authority and apostolate apostolate have the same mission. At its various levels, synodality is a principle derived from the apostolic nature of the church, not to fight for power but to discern the spirits. This is the way of the church of Christ in these times. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that comes from God, that we may know what has been given to us by God. See 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. The church remains Catholic and apostolic only if, in fidelity to the one treasure of the word of God handed down to the church in scripture and tradition, the entire holy people united with their shepherds remain always steadfast in the teaching of the apostles, in the common life, in the breaking of the bread, and in prayers, so that holding to practicing and professing the heritage of the faith, it becomes on the part of the bishops and faithful a single common effort. Summary As justified as it is to speak of a synodal principle in the interaction of bishops, priests, and laity, we should not gloss over its original defect. This consists of the political misunderstanding that in the Church the main issue revolves around power that, has, that now has to be limited democratically. To speak of a division of powers in the Church's populism and theological ignorance— In reality, both the spiritual authority of the bishops and the mission of the laity are at the service of the revealed truth.